let me just start by saying we, we're doing a series right now called The Books. Uh, we started this uh, series um, the beginning of this year, and it's a big deal for us because it's kind of our journey through the Bible. The word Bible means the books, right? So the books are a reference to, um, yeah, the, um, all, the, all the things that are contained in the scriptures. Now, there's two sets of books in the Bible. There's the Hebrew scriptures, and there are the Christian scriptures, the Old Testament, New Testament. We've been kind of going through the Old Testament together for the last many weeks, and um, we are going to finish up the first book today. I know we spent a lot of time in Genesis here, um, but there's a lot of history, a lot of long time history being given uh, in, the, in the book of Genesis. And so um, it'll move faster from here. Uh, we'll get through probably four books after Genesis within two weeks here. But uh, we're spending a lot of time on the Hebrew patriarchs. Who are the Hebrew patriarchs? They're the founders, the first people that God promised to start a nation that became the nation of Israel. And you have the founders, Abraham and Sarah, and then their children, Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, and then their twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob had a whole bunch of sons we saw last week with a, uh, in that story last Sunday. We're going to finish up with Jacob's son, Joseph, today. Now, Joseph was, um, by, of all the characters, um, he's one of the ones that's easy to find no fault with, right? He is um, a pretty remarkable guy. doesn't have a lot of things that you can, you can grumble about because he's just, he's just sharp. But he was the oldest son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. And we saw last week that Rachel died giving birth to, his, to her second son, one of Jacob's 12 sons, her second son, uh, uh, Benjamin. And because Jacob loved Rachel, he loved her sons the most. Benji was a little baby. And of course, on the older front, you had, um, you had um, the um, son Joseph, who was the younger one of the older boys. So today, we're going to pick up his story. And we, it starts in Genesis 37 and beginning with verse number 4. Genesis 37, 4 says, But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. There's a lot going on in that verse, so let me just make a couple quick observations. First of all, Jacob had favorites. We said this a couple weeks ago. You shouldn't have favorites with your kids, but they had favorites. Um, Jacob wasn't always the healthiest person himself, was he? And then you have um, Joseph, whose brothers weren't always healthy either. And Jake, Joseph was hated by them for a lot of reasons. For one, he would rat them out to dad. He would tell dad all about the things that they would do that were, um, you know, inappropriate. And so dad liked him more. And dad just liked him because he was, his, again, his deceased wife's oldest son. And so Joseph was a favorite. And he, his dad made him a coat of many colors. So before, we're going to give his, his brothers are going to get, they're not good people. We're going to give them some grief. But I just want to quickly point out, I can kind of understand their tension here, okay? If you had a sibling and the mom and dad loved that sibling the best, okay, and they always reminded you about it, it'd probably be annoying to you as well, okay? And Joseph was probably a little bit of a rub to his brothers because he was the good kid. He told on them. His dad loved them the best. He gave him a special coat he wore to remind them. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, 
pick up verse five here. It says, one night Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to that. Why did they hate him over a dream, by the way? Well, here's why. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in a field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Okay, if you're gonna get hated by your brothers, there's a good reason right there. Guys, I had this awesome dream. You gotta hear about it. I'm out there in the field, my bundle of grain stands up, and yours were bowing down to mine, kissing my feet. It was wonderful. You know, it's just like, oh, you really, you little jerk? Yeah, see my pretty coat, you know? I mean, I can just see why they didn't like him sometimes. So, anyhow, his brothers in verse 8 responded, So you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. You know, if you're going to have dreams like that, don't talk about them. But he's going to brag about them. I had another dream, guys. Shut up with your dreams, Joseph, you know. So this is what's going on here in the story. And um, we have um, a day comes when the brothers are out watching the sheep and Joseph's not with them. They were probably glad. And dad sends Joseph to go find his brothers and figure out why you know, where they were. And so he does. And when he eventually finds them, they see him coming and they're like, oh good, here's a little jerk, you know. Let's, let's get rid of him. In fact, they actually said, let's kill him. And the oldest brother, Reuben's like, guys, let's, let's not kill him. That's pretty drastic. Let's just throw him into a pit over here, this empty well, and maybe nature can kill him for us because he was gonna rescue him later. So they throw him into this pit. They sit down to eat. He's crying. He, they're ignoring him. And about that time, a, a band of Ishmaelite traders are traveling by on their way to Egypt to bring uh, you know, you know, goods they're going to trade there as well as slaves because human trafficking was very normal in that time. And in verse 26, it says that Judah, that would be the fourth oldest brother, Judah said to his brothers, what will we, be, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. You know, here's their sympathy. We have to cover it up. It's a lot of work, you know. Instead of hurting him, let's just sell him to those Ishmaelite traitors. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. So kind of them, you know. We're doing the brotherly thing to do. We're going to sell him into slavery. And his brothers agreed. So they pulled him out of the pit. They sell him for like 20 pieces of silver so they can get, get drinks on the way home, you know. And... um off to Egypt he goes. Can you picture him being taken away in this caravan, trafficked into slavery by his brothers, watching in the, in, as, the, as they go away, watching his homeland disappear forever, never going to return, ever, alive. Never thinks he'll see his father ever again. And his brothers are maybe just grinning and waving, have fun, Joseph. Let him know about your dreams, you know. And so he's gone and they're just going their merry way. What a bad deal. This is very hurtful for him. I, want, I can't overestimate how hurtful this was. You're going to see later in the story, this, I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be impactful to you? This stuck with him for the rest of his life. I don't know what bad thing ever happened to you or what mean thing anyone's ever done to you. Probably you, you have a story that's worse than something I've experienced for, in some cases. But probably none of us have, have gone through exactly that, where our family literally sold us into a, a foreign nation into slavery. And that's where Joseph is at. At 17 years of age, that's where he finds himself. It's a pretty bad deal. Pretty hurtful. 
Now I'm gonna say this to you before I go any further. There are so many lessons from Joseph's life. I once did a 13-week series, or maybe 11-week series on Joseph. And it took all of them to fully study his life. And then a couple of years ago, we did a four-week study on Joseph, and that was like a crammed, trying to cram a lot into four weeks. I'm covering his entire life just today. So we can't look at all the nitty-gritty. But just picture for a moment here the hurt he feels being sold into slavery by his brothers and leaving home forever. Genesis 39 verse 1 says, When Joseph was taken into Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Remember that king of Egypt was called the Pharaoh. There'd be different pharaohs at different times. And he has a a military and his own private guard was led by a man named Potiphar, the captain of the guard. And Potiphar needed a new slave, so he hires Joseph to be that uh, newest purchase of his. And it says in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. So here he is in a terrible spot, no thanks to his brothers, or thanks to his brothers. He's in a terrible spot, but while he's there in slavery, God is with him in that situation. God is with him in that circumstance, and he seems to be doing really well. He is successful, he is excelling, he is standing out in slavery. Verse number three says that Potiphar noticed this, and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. And this pleased Potiphar, so he made Joseph, soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and over everything that he owned. So he got, so this is honestly remarkable. He's a young man. By the time he's there, he's 17. He'll be in his early 20s before his time is up or, or mid-20s. Can you picture Joseph just becoming such an entrusted slave, an entrusted place that that the man who purchased him now says, I don't even worry about my stuff. I take care of Pharaoh as his captain of the guard, and Joseph takes care of my house, and I don't even worry about it. That's a pretty incredible rise in this bad circumstance. Now, before we get too excited about that, he's still a slave. Like how many of us would be like, that's my dream right there. My dream is to be sold into slavery and be the most favored and loved slave of all the slaves, right? So, I mean, let's be honest. This is not a good deal. But circumstantially, he's excelling and things are going pretty well. However, in verse 6, it says this. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. So now I got a picture. This is a good-looking guy. So I don't know, you know, who to compare that to. Maybe picture someone in, in, in culture that's very attractive today. Maybe picture, um, you know, one of the Hollywood um, Chris's, right? Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth or Chris Pratt. Or maybe a little more close to home, Arlen Walters, you know. <laughs> Your laughter hurts me. It hurts me deeply. But that's okay, I'll get over it. Um, anyhow, Joseph was handsome. He was a, a well-built young man. And... Um, it says that Potiphar's wife, Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Now she didn't ask, she demanded. She's like, hey, I'm the boss's wife, come and, and you're gonna sleep with me. She has nothing to do, she's a very privileged, wealthy woman and she's sitting back and she's saying, I'm eyeing that very prosperous young man who works in our house. 
and she insists on him sleeping with her. And Joseph might have been able to say, well, you know, when in Rome, or in Egypt in this case, I mean, you know, I tried to do the right thing and all that got me was sold into slavery. I mean, what are you supposed to do? I mean, she's the boss. It could have been easy for him to look, be very short-sighted. But Joseph was not a short-sighted person. I want you to notice this because this is a part of his whole character all his life. It says in verse 8 that Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held nothing back from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. What an amazing, wise young man to say, I'm not looking at the opportunity in front of me and finding a way where I can say, hey, what can a, you know, what can a guy do? I'm going to say, here's the principle. Away from the moment that's in front of me, there's a man who entrusts me. I'm not going to do wrong. And I love the last statement. It would be a great sin against God. See, I wish we always thought that way when we were tempted to do something wrong. We, we should think about who we are wronging. Like if, if you're going to sleep with another man's wife or another woman's husband, it's a sin against their spouse, right? And against them, really, against yourself and against yours if you're married. But, but here's the thing. Joseph didn't just see the sin against Potiphar. He said it would be a sin against God. That, that I'm not just factoring in the humans in the equation. I'm factoring in what is right before our God, and I'm not going to violate and harm his name. Beautiful. We're going to think about his big picture mentality throughout our time today. Well, what happens is, one day, Joseph's alone in the house, everyone else is busy, and the, the wife lays her hands on him and says, you're going <laughs> to, you're coming with me now, big boy, you know. And Joseph's like, no, I'm not. And he fights his way free and she grabs his coat and he finally just pulls out of his coat and runs out of the house to avoid a bad situation. And she is so embarrassed and humiliated by his rejection this time. You know, you know a woman scorned, she feels scorned. And so she lays his, his coat nearby and she tells all the other servants in the house, that guy tried to rape me. And when I screamed out for help, he ran, but he left his coat with me. Here's the proof. And she laid it by when her husband got home. She says, you know that Hebrew slave that you're so big on because he was a great guy? Well, he tried to force himself on me while you were gone. And I, being a woman of, 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 of morals and decency, I did the right thing. And I screamed out for help. You're right, she twists the story right around on its head. And he ran afraid, but I have the proof of what he tried to do to me. Genesis 39, 19 says Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and he threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. So obviously Potiphar has access to the royal dungeon, to the royal prison, because he's the captain of the guard. And he puts Joseph right exactly there after he hears his wife's story. No good deed goes unpunished, some would say. Well, it says in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. 
And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything that he did to succeed. And Joseph is having a remarkable track wherever he goes. At home, his dad trusted him amongst some rough brothers. And he had the respect and admiration of his dad. When his brothers sold him into slavery, he, he was trusted and rose to the top in Potiphar's house until someone else did him wrong. And now he's in prison. And once again, he is trusted and he rises into a place of prominence in the prison. So Joseph is remarkable wherever he goes. However, again, is it possible that, you know, you know this is not a good story. Like, how many of us want to be like, I'm the, I'm the favored prisoner, you know. I'm in prison the rest of my life, but I'm the favorite one here. I mean, it's, it's not exactly what you would call a happy spot. But, I mean, he's making the best of a bad situation, right? But, boy, it sure does stink. And we're going to see in a minute here, he wanted out of there badly. And everything has gone wrong. Tried to do the right thing, it goes wrong. But wherever he went, he did what he could do. Wherever he went, he just kept on track. He did what was right growing up. When that got him sold into slavery, he did right as a slave and did his best and, and, and was trustworthy there. When that, when that turned against him because of no fault of his own, in prison he does the same thing over again. And I want us to think about that because I know that for some of us today, and I was reminded in the first service for someone who was here today, that some of us, you don't, I don't know what you're going through, but some of you might be going through some tough times in some arena of your life. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in the family. Maybe it's in something else. Maybe it's just your faith journey. Like you decided to serve the Lord and follow him, and then it's just been one setback after another. Maybe you've tried to, to do the right thing, and as you've done the, tried to do the right thing, it's blown up in your face, it seems like. Or maybe you felt called to do something and start something, and when you started it, it went, it went wrong. And you feel like every time you try to do the right thing or progress this idea that God gave you, there's only setbacks. That's what Joseph is going through. But just because you have a setback, even a long and deep setback, does not necessarily mean that God is not in it or that you're on the wrong track. We're easy, we quickly judge. This must be a bad idea. It's not going well. You know, Joseph's dreams and trying to be the right kind of person must be wrong. God must not be in this. I got sold into slavery. I stayed moral there. I got falsely accused. Must not matter. It'd be easy sometimes to let setbacks convince us that we're not on the right track. But Joseph didn't let a setback get him off track. He didn't let a setback get him off track. He didn't change his beliefs about what God had called him to do and the dream he put in his heart just because things were not working out yet. Don't give up just because it's not going the way you want it to go. Setbacks don't mean God's not in it. Well, sometime later, King Pharaoh is mad at his chief butler and his chief baker and he throws them into the prison where Joseph is kind of taking care of things. And Joseph ministers to them. And one night they have dreams and Joseph is able to interpret their dreams, something that Joseph had been able to do since he was a boy. His brothers seemed to be able to do it. His dad had that ability. We saw last week a little bit. They, they were just dreamers. And so Joseph here is interpreting these men's dreams. <clears throat> and as he does, it says that um, they came true. The one chief baker was executed by Pharaoh 
as his dream foretold, and the chief butler was restored to his position. But if you want to know how much uh, Joseph hated being in the prison, if you want to know how much he hated being there, you can see it in his, if you hear it in his voice when you read what he says, when he tells the, the chief butler, he says, please, please tell Pharaoh to get me out of here. Tell him who I am. Tell him how I helped you. Because when, you, when he sets you free, I, I can't be here any longer. He was not having the time of his life, even though he was kind of running the place, right? Well, finally, a couple, two more years passed after that. Joseph was forgotten once again. He's now 30 years old, folks. It has been 13 years from the time that he was trafficked by his brothers Slavery, prison, 13 years. He's 30 years old, and life is not looking up yet. It's almost half of his life. And one day, Pharaoh has a really crazy dream. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, goes to bed one night, and he dreams, and in his dream there's these seven fat cows, delicious I mean, not that they're, but you just think all the beef you can get off that cow. Man, those cows, that's some good cattle right there. Seven big fat Cows, he's just thinking about, oh man, the steaks are going to be great. And in his dream, along came seven dilapidated, scrawny butt cows. And they eat up the seven fat cows, and they're still scrawny and dilapidated afterwards. And Joseph's like, uh, and Pharaoh wakes like, what? So he wakes up from that dream, like, what was that about? And he thinks to himself, no more tacos before, before bedtime. And he gets an acid tablet and some water, and he goes back to bed. And when he goes back to bed, he has another dream. And this time there's like seven ears of corn and they're delicious looking. And he sees the butter and the salt dripping off of them. But then these seven uh, nasty, you know, just scorched ears of corn come along and they devour the seven good ones. And he wakes up and says, man, those dreams feel connected in some way. But why? How? So he begins to tell people, you ever have a dream sometimes that sticks with you and you want to talk about it? And so, Joe, so Pharaoh's talking about his dream, just trying to figure out if anyone knows what it might mean. And the chief butler says, oh yeah, I've got to tell you about this guy I met when I was in prison, when you were mad at me, before you restored me, before you killed the baker. Yeah, this guy named Joseph. And he tells Pharaoh, that guy can interpret dreams. So in Genesis 41, 14, Pharaoh sends for Joseph at once. And he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph, what he says next is, shows the maturity from the 17-year-old guy in his fancy coat antagonizing his brothers to a 30-year-old man who's been through a lot. He's, he's come to a, a perspective that's, that's mature. He says in verse 16, it is beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Before it's like, I had a dream. Now it's like, I can't tell what the dreams are, but God can. It's beyond my power. Pharaoh, don't be mistaken. It's not about me at this moment, but I want to point you to your maker. He can help you. Let me, let me help you find what he's trying to tell you. So he tells Joseph the dream, and Joseph says, wow, that's quite a dream. And in verse 28, Joseph is now 
explaining to him, this will happen just as I've described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The next seven years, that's what the seven cows and the seven ears of corn represented. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterwards, there will be seven years of famine so great that the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt and famine will destroy the land. The famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. And so Joseph says to Pharaoh, God has given you an amazing opportunity. He has given you a vision, a dream, to tell you the future that everyone wishes they knew. And now you know what the next 14 years are gonna be like. But now Joseph's gonna pivot And because of the dream, he's going to give Pharaoh some advice. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect 20% of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses, store it away and guard it there so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise the famine will destroy the land. So he gives them some very practical economic advice. Store up now, put a big tax on people. They'll they'll be so prosperous, they won't love it, but they will be okay because they're prospering for the seven good years. Tax 20% out, store up, rotate the older stuff as time goes on and and, and use that next and put the newer stuff behind it and and we're gonna get some grain ready so that when the ground's ready, we can plant some more. Just look, for seven years, let's get ready because at the end of seven good years will come seven very bad years. Now this is an amazing story. Because don't we all wish we had that kind of heads up? Like, we're living in weird economic times, right? In our country right now, um, in the world. I mean, these have been a weird couple of years. We can go on and on about that. Wouldn't it be nice for your portfolio if you were told, okay, here's what's going to happen. For the next seven years, get out of all of your stock positions and get into the cash because the market's going to tank. And build a large cash position at the end of seven years. Buy everything you can in this sector and this sector because it's going to go skyrocketing. Boy, I tell you, we could all be rich real fast if we had that kind of a heads up. Joseph was given a dream. I mean, Father Pharaoh was given a dream. Joseph interprets that said, here's what's going to happen in the next 14 years. That's a tremendous insight. But just because you have a good insight doesn't mean that you're going to do the right thing with it. And Joseph says to Pharaoh, we've been given a gift. Let's not blow it. Let's seize the opportunity. And, and I want to make a, a, an observation here about Joseph because it, all of us can apply this to numbers of areas of our lives, including our financial well-being, by the way. But not just our financial well-being, but in other areas of life as well. But here's the thing. We should take advantage. Take advantage of, of your times of prosperity to prepare for the times of struggle. Whether that means take advantage of your extra money or your strength. For example, I've watched it all my life that young people hit adulthood and they have a not great job and they get married and they're bar- we're barely making it. And then at some point along the way, as you keep working, a promotion comes, an opportunity comes, and all of a sudden you've been barely getting by, but you, now you're making more money. And what do we tend to do? 
We're making more money, we spend more money. Make a little bit more money, now I have more needs. And we always raise our income up to our outgo to match our income. And I think one of the principles is, is to learn to, to not do what our country does, and that is to, to live off the fat of the land and spend everything that comes in and more in debt, and then one day have a big old hole. But when you're getting a little ahead, when you have a little bit more to say, hey, I have more, not so I can spend more today, but to build an emergency fund, to build a cushion, to invest down for down the road so that later on, when rough times come, I have something to lean on. Joseph Joseph prepared for the rough times while he was still in the good times. And this can apply to a lot of parts of his life, but it includes Joseph helped Egypt prepare for the rough times while they were still in the good times. He says, we can't just say we have a lot, let's buy a lot more stuff and let's live high off the hog. We gotta realize that there will be rougher days coming and while the times are good, it's time to set aside for when the times are rough so that we won't be knocked on our tush. And boy, if we all did that with our, with our finances and prepared for a rainy day, prepared for the rough times that life brings, when the cycle goes back the other way, we'd all be better off. And that also goes for our strength. Some of us, we're, we're young enough. You can work the few overtime hours. You can work the side hustle. You can work the second job. Whatever you have to do for a little while. Do the things so they're saving the extra money or making a little extra and not spending it and putting it away because there's gonna, a day is going to come when you don't have the strength you used to have. You don't have the stamina you used to have. You don't have the opportunity. Your health isn't the same. And boy, I tell you, if we could only make hay while the sun shines, you know, and say, hey, these are good years. Let's prepare for when times get rough. Let's prepare for the rough times while we're in the good times. That's what Joseph did here, and it's pretty awesome. Now, what happens is, is Pharaoh's impressed. Pharaoh's like, you're right. I should appoint someone over this project, and I'm appointing you because you're remarkable. You're wise. You, you know what's going on. In Genesis 41, verse 41, it says that Pharaoh says to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot that was reserved for his second in command. In other words, he was in charge. Joseph was second. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, Kneel down! So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. I always wonder when Joseph was riding in that chariot, People are yelling, kneel down. I wonder if at some point he looked, he looked in the crowd and saw Potiphar kneeling down. Or Potiphar's wife. You ever wonder what happened to Potiphar's wife? Does it even matter? Joseph is on top. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, and no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. He's come full circle. And Joseph gets busy leading. He gets busy collecting the, the taxes and gathering the product and storing things up and getting ready for and getting the stuff that, that needs to be harvested that could be planted later on when the ground was ready again and getting, uh, getting all the stuff. He, just, he begins to economically prepare for rough years ahead. He gets busy leading. And he gets busy starting a family. He gets married. And they have a couple sons. Genesis 41, verse 51 says, Joseph named his older son Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all of my troubles 
and everyone in my father's family. Isn't that interesting? He says, God has been so good in the end here that he's caused me to forget all those rotten years. I was rotting in slavery and prison. He's made me forget my brothers. Like they didn't, like, who, what, who cares? And then he had another son, and he named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. This has been a land of grief and a time of sorrow. And yet in the place of my heartache, God has made me fruitful. Isn't that interesting? We think God only can make us fruitful in times of prosperity. But Joseph said, God has brought me through some tough times to bring me to a place of fruitfulness. Well, guess what happens? Sure enough, just as the, the dream predicted, in verse 53, it says, At last the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well, and when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph, do whatever he tells you to. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe throughout that part of the world. Now, here's what I want you to, to understand. Again, if we had seven weeks, 11 weeks, I could tease this out more. But basically, because of Joseph's leadership and the dream that God had given them, they were able to buy up the surrounding areas, expand the kingdom, and turn Egypt from a powerful nation to a superpower. Because as often is the case in times of economic downturn, people who are ready to seize the opportunity get richer when things are getting worse. You get more powerful when things are getting worse. And Joseph and Egypt take advantage of the situation because they knew what was happening, and they expanded Egypt's power through Joseph's leadership. And eventually, Joseph's brothers... His own brothers eventually get hungry. They're at home and dad says, I hear there's food in Egypt. Take some, some product, take some money with you and go buy some food so we don't starve to death. But when they got there, they didn't recognize Joseph. Why would they recognize Joseph? He was 17 years old when they sold him into slavery. Why would they recognize him now? He's over 40, he's probably 40 or so at this point. Why would they recognize him? But they show up to Egypt to buy food. And he's in charge. He's supposed to be a slave. They don't know that's him. He's a, there's this guy in charge. And he's speaking through an interpreter to them, not speaking their language. But he recognizes them. Oh, yes, he does. And what happens next, and I was reading the story today because of, uh, of sake of time, is Joseph does some really weird, almost plays games with them a little bit. He basically says, I think you're all a bunch of spies, and no, we're not. We're all brothers. We even have another brother back home. Oh, yeah, well, I don't. So he imprisons Simeon, his one brother, prisons him, says to the other guys, here's some food for your money. Go back home, and don't come back for more food unless you bring your brother back to prove that you're not spies. And then dad says, you're not bringing Benjamin back with you because, I, you know, and this whole thing happens. They, they get desperate again. They finally come back with Benjamin. He, he toys with them some more. He feeds them. He he, he sends them out with their money in their bags. Then he chases them down and accuses them of stealing because it's going to imprison Benjamin. I mean, he's just all this crazy stuff. And it looks like he's just kind of just toying with them. Maybe he's testing them. Maybe he's doing something that he's <laughs> plotted for a lot of years in his head. I don't know. But 
what we find is that his heart is tender. Because every single time he interacts with these brothers of his who hurt him so bad, he would get off by himself as quick as possible and just cry. Because you know how it is, folks. When someone hurts you that bad, it's not something you always forget the next week or just get over it. And Joseph was still struggling. So, finally one day, when his brothers were bowing down to him, go figure, desperate because he was playing games with them, Joseph breaks down and begins to weep. And he says to them, it's me, Joseph. I'm your brother. And they don't believe him. They're, they're terrified. Like, that can't be, and I hope it's not because we're dead, you know. And he's, oh, no, it's me, Joseph. I'm really alive. God brought me here. And he says, go home and bring dad and tell him I'm alive and tell him what you did, you know. And, and they bring dad back to Egypt. And we saw last week, if you are with us last week, that Jacob met Pharaoh before he died. And eventually, Joseph not only saves Egypt, he saves his family. They settle down in Egypt and he feeds them well. And eventually Jacob dies. We saw that last week. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 14, after burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger. He hasn't been angry at them yet. Now he'll show his anger and he'll pay us back for all the wrong they did, we did to him, they said. So they put a little plan together. Verse 16. So they sent this message to Joseph. Um, <clears throat> Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. Okay, I don't think Joseph bought this, by the way. I don't think Joseph believed this. Like, oh, oh, you're telling me that before dad died? I had lots of conversations with dad. He never mentioned it to me. But before he died, he told you to tell me I'm supposed to forgive you. Right. Oh, dad, Jacob? You mean Jacob, the guy we studied last week, who was very unforgiving? Jacob, who held grudges? Jacob, who wouldn't even bless his three older sons when he blessed his kids because he was bitter at them for things they did earlier in life? He told you to make sure I forgive you. Baloney. You know, I don't believe you. But when his brothers said this to him, when Joseph received the message, it says he broke down and wept. I can't just, I, I, I've mentioned it, but I just want you to, to just grab that last sentence because this was deeply personal. What they did to him was deeply wounding and personal. You know what that's, you ever been to something like that? I mean, he's not over it. He's not treating them wrong, but it's tender to him. It, it marked him for life. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? To which they're thinking, well, you're pretty close. You could definitely punish us, yes. Am I God that I can punish you? Don't miss this verse. You intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Ooh, that's so big right there. Joseph didn't say, eh, no big deal. Hey, what's a good, you know, selling your brother into slavery amongst family, you know? I mean, hey, bygones and water under the bridge, and this is cool. No, Joseph said, it hurt. Joseph said, you, what you did was wrong. You intended 
you intended to harm me. Let's call it what it is. But forget your intentions. God, God intended it all for good. So I can save a lot of lives. He, he brought it all about to do some good. See, Joseph does something so mature here. Let me read you one more verse before I talk about it. Verse 21, he says, no, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. And I love that. Because Joseph in this moment is saying to them, your intentions were not good, but God's intentions were. And I think for all of us, we can take some instruction from that today before we go home. All of us today can ask ourselves, are we as good as Joseph was here at looking at the right intentions? Let me ask you this question. Whose intentions have your attention? Whose intentions have your attention? Joseph was saying to his brothers, your intentions were bad, but that's not where my attention's at. God's intentions were incredible. He used it for his good. And if we're not careful, we will be consumed by the intentions of people who have hurt us. I can't believe they said that about me. I can't believe that they posted that about me. I can't believe they, they turned my friend against me. I can't believe they tried to get me kicked off my job or take my promotion or slander my name or hurt me or whatever it may be. And if, if we're not careful, it consumes us, right? It can consume us. Whose intentions have your attention? Joseph says, man, y'all did me some pretty bad wrong. But I'm just noticing that God was so good to me that I can be good to you. You weren't good to me, but I'm not gonna pay you back because you were bad to me. I'm gonna be good to you because God's been good to me. God's intentions are what's my focus. I'm consumed by that. And that changes how I treat you. If you're consumed by the bad intentions of other people, you'll have a hard time being healthy and treating people right. But if you're consumed by God's heart and his good intentions and his will, you can be kind and at peace through your circumstances. Whose intentions have your attention? Rather than letting the hurts of life and people consume and shape him, Joseph recognized and rested in the love and grace of God through it all. Or I can say it this way, Joseph kept his eyes on the heart of God through the hurts of life. That's a good day. And finally, at the end, Joseph grew old and died. It says in Genesis 50, 24, soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he promised to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He said, when God comes to help and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And we all know what happens next, don't we? What happens next is that Joseph, well, the book of Genesis ends. That's the end of Genesis right there, pretty much. And Genesis comes to an end. And Exodus begins 400 years later where those children of Israel were not appreciated for what Joseph did for them, but were eventually put into slavery as slaves in Egypt themselves. And 400 years later, God raises up Moses. And he becomes a deliverer to bring them out of slavery and out of Egypt. We studied Moses in that story back at the beginning of the year. And that's Exodus. But Genesis comes to an end right here. Before we go home, I just wanted to, again, we could spend 13 weeks on Joseph's life and not exhaust it. 
But I just want to quickly today wrap up by pointing out that there were three things that we saw in today's story that brought Joseph through all of his circumstances. And those three things are perseverance, preparation, and perspective. These are, Joseph had a big picture mindset, and these three words exemplify how he operated. And I think that if we can take these words and write them down or own them ourselves, they can guide us through life, including the hurts of life, the setbacks of life, the hearts of others, the opportunities in front of us, perseverance, preparation, and perspective. First of all, perseverance. It means, I, it, 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 we saw it earlier, I won't let a setback get me off track. Just because I'm, I'm doing the right thing, I'm not going to let my faith be abandoned because something went wrong, because someone of faith hurt me and they should not have done that, but I'm not going to abandon my faith or because I'm doing the right thing and God hasn't blessed me the way I want him to yet, so I'm going to abandon my faith. No, I'm not going to, I'm going to stay on track. I'm going to, if God gives me a vision to start something in my life, I'm going to stay on track. And if I get setbacks, it does not mean that he's not in it. And if things, if I got a dream and a goal, I'm chasing it and it falls backwards, doesn't mean it's not meant to be. I won't let a setback get me off track. I'm going to have some perseverance. So Joseph did. Number two, we see he had pre preparation. Preparation says, I will prepare for the rough times while I'm still in the good times. I'm not going to be so naive as to think that what's right in front of me is how it will always be. Things change. If these are good times, I need to prepare for the rough times, financially and otherwise. I need to look ahead. And really, this works both ways. Not only will I prepare for the rough times while I'm still in the good times, but I'll prepare for the good times while I'm still in the rough times. That's what Joseph did while he was a slave in Egypt, while he was a slave in Potiphar's house and a prisoner. He said, hey, this is where I'm at. It's pretty rough. I'll do the best I can here. It's pretty rough in prison. I'll do the best I can. I'll help these people. I'll serve them. I'll meet, I'll meet their needs because the door might open and things might change. Preparing for the rough times while still in the good times. Preparing for the good times while still in the rough times. Life will pivot at some point, am I ready? It's called seize the opportunities. Perseverance, preparation, and last of all, perspective. I will keep my eyes on the heart of God through the hurts of life. I'm not gonna be consumed. Other people's wrong intentions won't get my attention. I'm gonna pivot my attention to the intentions of God, to the heart of God. Because if I don't, the other will consume me. And rather than letting the hurts of life and rather than letting people who've hurt me consume and shape me, I want to recognize and rest in the love of God and the grace of God through it all. God is doing more in you than what is happening to you. And I hope that when we leave here today, what we can decide to do is say, you know what, Lord? I trust you. We sang a song earlier, if you were listening. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. I love that phrase. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You're a waymaker. Joseph exemplifies that very well for us today. And I hope that when you go home today, something from his life will give you some traction in the days, the weeks, and months ahead. Let's pray.